Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. We are now recording. Oh, that's a nice start to it. The pull of the... Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father John, Father Nathan, and Hello. a little Woodford. What is this exactly? Double oaked. Double oaked. Man, this is tasty. That's a it's tasty great. beverage. Tasty beverage. We did not break into it uh, while I was um, uh, in a battle royale with um, Trevor in uh, Cribbage. Oh, yeah. Well, it was also like 9 o'clock in the morning, right? No, it was... Uh, oh, he came later? No, I, 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 we were playing Cribbage at like 11.45 at night. We were drinking Alpine beer, which is pretty tasty. But I told him about Mike Hess Brewery in San Diego, which is one, has one of the best IPAs I've ever had. Really? Yeah. How do you know this? When was the last time you were in San Diego? Mike Drum Beer Attorney. Ah. Get this. He has a ticket for me for the Great American Beer Fest. Uh-huh. Is this the Blue Moon guy? No. no. This is uh, Mike Drum Beer oh, Attorney. Mike Drum. Beer Mike attorney. Drum Beer, beer attorney. attorney. So he represents uh, distributors, uh, breweries, uh, because you have to do a lot of trademarks. You got to oh, do yeah. a lot of, you know, whatever. But it sounds um, like Garrett Dean's dream job. Garrett Dean worked for him for a while. He couldn't do both though. Yeah, uh, he had he was doing, had too many responsibilities. But I have tickets for the Great American Beer Fest on October fifth at two p.m. Ah, uh, wedding, wedding, Connor, Maddie. Which no offense. Oh, here we go. No offense. Are we doing this on? They called on air? me and they said, "Hey, we would like you to celebrate our wedding." Oh. And I go, "Seriously? Like, I mean, I know you guys, but I don't know you that well." And they're like, "Yeah, we want, we want, it. we're working on the program. We want you to celebrate." And I'm like, "Who's the main <laughs> celebrant?" And they're like, "Oh, it's whoever. It's Bishop. What? Yeah." The Aquila? bishop of no of the bishop of um, oh, Spokane's no. coming down. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. And then you're preaching. Yeah. Like, do I have to? go? You can have the third concelebrant no, part. No. Can I just can I just go to the Great American Beer Fest? If I can go to the Mandolin Orange Show that night. I got trolled by this guy. I this is what do you he, mean? In ten years as a companion, this has never been had before. Where uh, he's trolling my my life, and he goes, "Hey, did you see Mandel and Orange is playing on October fifth at Breck Brew?" And I was like, "Yeah, crazy." Phil Bartline got ten VIP tickets, and he goes, "Why?" You didn't tell me. And that. then you go, "Well, you better not even think about going because it's Lord's Day that night." And I was like, "Did you just set that whole thing up to trap me?" And then what does he do? He goes to the Broncos game on Sunday. Because we can't go. Misses Lord's Day. That's true. I was like, you are such a punk <laughs> middle child. No, but here's the deal. Selling out the Mandel and Orange. Mandel and Orange comes to Denver every year. Bears only come to Broncos every 10 years. Really? Licking his fingers. Dill Pickle, Carolina Nut. Well, you're not going to Great American. You can go. At, why do you have to go 2 o'clock to the beer festival? I thought it's like a whole weekend thing. Well, the ticket I have is from 12 to 5, and I have confessions at 4. Looks like you ain't going, bro. No offense. I don't know if I'm going to go to the Okay, so I think it's now. just, this has nothing to do with Maddie and Connor, but... It has nothing to do with them. Invi- when you invite a priest to a wedding, a, a nuptial mass, he's yes. going to con-celebrate. So it's not like, a, it's not like, sometimes people play it up like, we would be so honored. Right. 
if you would be the seventh con celebrant exactly. at our wedding. Right. And, and it's like, you, you know, you're, you're, you're basically, it's just a glorified invitation. Right. You know? And Father, Father, uh, Father Nick said, if you're just a con celebrant, you just kind of say, you know, I'll pray for you guys. Um, I'm out. And, and it doesn't mean that you don't love them or whatever. It's just you have a number of different things that you can do. Yeah, but you should go because Connor and Maddie are awesome. They are awesome. And actually, I I've have been, loved hanging out with them. And uh, I got kind of a bad rap know, on the street as a, as a being a bit of a hard, like just a bit too hard and intense in marriage prep. Did you know this? No. You know, that was the word on the street. So from who? Hannah Wilson and darling Will Beasley engaged. What? Really? Yeah. Oh, nice. But they were like, we had heard, you know, you're kind of intense. I was like, who would you hear that from? She's like, well, Melissa, Melissa, Jonathan McCoy. And I was like, well, it's different when they're like family. You know what I mean? So you kind of, you do different things with different you know, couples, but Connor and Maddie, that was a blast. It was fantastic. I really enjoyed doing their marriage prep. And I'm so happy that I get to be the guy to point to the book when Goble gets to read his one paragraph wow. at your wedding. And that's it. Wow. Remember the Lord, those who have gone before us with the sign of, that's it. Remember those who has gone before us with the sign of peace. I was getting made fun of recently. I was at, I forget where I was at. I was saying mass, and it was like one of these great Italian names the the mass was being said from. So it was like, "Remember, Lord, those for whom whom have died and gone to rest, especially Francesco Lazzaretti and all those who faithfully departed." They were like, "It's just ridiculous." I said Francesco, our pope today in the Spanish mass. They're like, "What a loser!" Francisco, that's fun to say. <laughs> All right. Okay. We've reached the end of our banter time. Thank you, folks, for listening. This is Catholic (laughs) Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Most people just turn off at this point. Right. Not until we start playing some jazz loon. I need a CD player so I can listen to that. I don't. Kyle have Tannehill, you're amazing. Jazz loon. This is a Wait, real can CD. Can you please? Do you did you read the? Yeah, I think the one we got to play is. Uh, well, where is it? Oh, those are all the different sounds. No, can I? May I? Uh, sensual encounter number That's four. It. No, no, no. Here, here's here's the here's the descriptor. This of is like a jazz this CD. Apparently, we haven't listened to it because we can't get our hands on a CD player. But apparently, this is like seventies jazz songs. I can't wait with oh, like with loon sounds. Contemporary jazz accompanied by loons with its artful blend of fine contemporary jazz and the haunting calls of the loon. Jazz loon pioneers a new musical hybrid. You're about to hear the improvisational riffs of two uncommonly expressive species. What is the deal? <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's definitely one of the weirder things. And we've seen a lot of weird things, but the jazz. North Sound the North Sound collection is perfect for relaxing, meditating, tranquil, daydreaming, or exploring your creative self. Nice. Folks <laughs> Jazz Within loon. reason. All right. That's right. The Jazz Loon. Jazz Loon. All right. You ready? To the topic. Do you know the word paideia? Doodle. Yes. What does it mean? Doodle. Education of children. Very good. Is that right? Yeah. Oh nice. So, like uh, Pedialyte. Pedialyte or pediatrician. Pedialyte is probably known by a lot more people that listen to our podcast. The um, So the Greek word paideia comes from two. I was talking to Father Andres Hook about this today. Pais and Igon, the one who goes with the child. Hmm. Right. So paideia is, yeah, the pedantic. Pedantic. Pedagogy. Hmm. These are all words that come from. Paideia. Paideia was the ancient Greek understanding of 
education, specifically of podiatrist. Sorry, <laughs> of uh, the the education of the of how they would bring about the perfect member of society. Mm-hmm. Right. So think of like you know uh, the ancient Greek world and these city states that existed. And that you're trying to create and educate the perfect kind of noble citizen. That that was the work of Paideia, Right. Did you type up this whole podcast? No, I'm writing an article on this. Oh, here we go again. Here we go again. This is the test. This is the new me, This man. is the test run. Okay. This is the test run. All right. Who's this one for? This one's for seminarians. I, I What I'm interested in is... Uh, Wait. So you're writing an article for seminarians? No, I'm writing an article. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, I put these notes together because it's just... I got I to... Gotta, this is how I think. Now. Once the, once the, the diamond Once inspired. the diamond strikes. Yeah. It's true. Once the diamond speaks, you got to go with formation as Paideia. That's the name of the article. Mm. A meditation on Hebrews chapter 12. That used to be how priestly formation was done. Right. Is that you were a child and you were entrusted, like not literally a child, uh, you know, Pache, all the haters right now, but you would entrust yourself as a disciple to a master and just say, I want to learn how to become a priest. And right. you just you spend just time start. with the priest. And that, that went up to the 16th century with the foundation of the modern seminary system, right, which was started in Trent. And we needed that. We needed Trent desperately, and it did. It got things organized. Yeah. St. Robert Bellarmine, we celebrated him this week. Amazing. Great, yeah. These guys were... The Bellarmino. Were incredible. But uh, there's something lost about that basic kind of mentorship uh, and the education of when you're just walking. I, I just remember Hoke in class being like... Come along, come along, little children. And he would just like walk in class and kind of like show the paideia, you know, the experience of it. Mm-hmm. Because Paul talks about how the law was a paideia, right? That was that was the whole point of our, uh, the reason why Hoke was talking about that, right? That the, the, the law was a way of educating and preparing the Jews for Christ, for the fulfillment of Christ, for full maturity in Christ. But the line that I was struck by that they got this whole thing kicked off, led to typed notes, is... Mm-hmm. Uh, from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. And have you forgotten the exhortation which addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor lose courage when you are punished by him. Yes. For the Lord disciplines him whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The word discipline there, my son, Go on. do not regard lightly the, the discipline, the paideia kurioi, Right? Kurioi. Kurioi, the discipline of the Lord. Yes, but the next line is, for if you are not disciplined, you are not sons, but... Slaves? Bastards. Bastards. You yeah. are kids without fathers. Oh. Yeah. Very interesting. So I was thinking about this in, in two ways. Number one, I am now a formator, whatever You're that means. You're a house means. father. I'm a house father. Right? Fata. House fata. Yeah. What is house in uh, German? Haas? Haas? I think so. You should be Hasfata. Hasfata. <laughs> it sounds like Asfat, which means exit. <laughs> Asfat means exit on a highway. Did you know that? <laughs> that would be perfect, man. You're the Asfat. Asfat verboten. We laughed so hard. We saw signs all over the Autobahn that said Asfat verboten. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Hasfat. Asfat. You're the Hasfata. You're the Hasfata. Yeah, okay. So You're now a father. You're now a formation father. But also thinking about sometimes... Uh, the way that the Lord works through us. And like with the companions, we have a lot of correction that happens within the life. You kind of rub, rub up against each other. If you're really living the life, like I, you know, I got into it with a guy recently and he really challenged 
like I called it a meta fraternal correction because it was like I'm not just talking about this little pattern of behavior. I'm talking about like the whole way that you mm-hmm. and and it was hard. And I was struck by how much resistance I had towards change, towards conversion. Like I just I don't want to change. I don't, I want everything to be nice. I want everything to just go to go to right. plan every day. And uh, yeah. we lose that sense of uh, that there's a there's a divine paideia that's at work in the providence of God, and it's working through our relationships. It's working through your marriages. It's working through your your brotherhood. Um, and uh, it if we don't have that sense of that we're living in paideia, then uh, we're going to act really weird, and uh, we're going to mistreat people. I think. Because, we think we think that we think we're, we're ready. Fu- we're fully arrived. Yeah, right? we're and ready. we actually think that. Oh, I could take a correction. You know, I have some people say I. I thought that I would have more virtue by this point, like whether in like uh, truthfulness, honesty, patience, uh, love for the poor, or whatever. And I'm like, well, God's actually trading you in that. Right. He's sending you opportunities to live the very virtue you want. Right. And it's like, no, 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 no. I, I think I already have that virtue. It's like, no, you know. Yeah. And I mean, the only way for us to get better at the virtue is actually by creating opportunities to exercise that virtue. That is true. And seminary life, um, after a month, after being such an expert, you know, in seminary formation, you know, one month in, I don't know anything, but um, it is, it's a grueling life. I mean, we lived it for a lot of years and it's, it, it wears you down. Yeah. But we had a great talk by a, a psychologist named Paul Ruff at the beginning of the year. Ruff. And Paul Ruff is awesome. He's the he's Paul the Ruff. staff psychologist up at St. Paul Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, a good friend of the companions up there. And uh, he had some amazing kind of lines that he said. And his whole the whole point of his topic, which got me going on this whole Paideia thing, was we have to move beyond seminary as kind of a quasi-police state. You know, mm-hmm. monitor and correct, mm-hmm. monitor, correct, monitor, correct, monitor, yep. correct, monitor, correct. Oh, yeah. Assess, monitor, correct, assess, you know, and it's just like that is just not a healthy, flourishing human environment. Right. right? And I hope this applies to family life as well, because the majority of the people who are listening to this, you know, are not in seminary. You're not in seminary formation. But this is just the kind of thing about how do you how do you form a human being? And I think the Greeks right. had something here with Paideia. Uh, and I think we've lost that in the modern world, in the way that family life is lived, and the way that we're trying to educate as parents, but also educate and form as uh, spiritual fathers, and especially in a seminary environment. Yeah. And uh, Glenn, Monsignor Glenn said this. He said, stop treating us like we're sacerdotal cops. Right. And I said, then stop treating us like we are in uh, a, a police-like environment where we need to have you... Like, yeah. let me tell you why I'm letting you off with a warning, but I could totally write you up for this. Right. It's just like, oh my gosh. There was yeah. one guy that constantly got on this dude because his hair was too fluffy. He just, he had too fluffy of hair. Yeah. And that's when I grew out the mullet because I was like, dude, you're obsessed. Settle down. Right. So. During the, uh, uh, during that conference with Paul Ruff, the, Ruff. there was a great, <laughs> there was a great line, um. Is that the take a bite out of crime guy? What was it? McGruff. <laughs> McGruff. McGruff. That was McGruff, McGruff. the crime dog. The crime dog. Um, Dan Barron, Father Dan Barron, had this great line uh, during the uh, conference as as uh, Dr. Ruff was speaking, and he said, um, I think we need to quit treating seminary like boot camp and think of it more like gardening. 
And I was like, there's a guy who's got it. Yep. And it's mic drop. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Ruff jumped on that. And, and Ruff, his, a, lot Ruff. Of, a lot of the point of his, his talks were to say, um, formation is always a mutual and dialogical experience. So one of the key things he says, don't try and change someone unless you're, you or yourself are willing to change. Hmm. Boom. Mm-hmm. That is a, that was just a line that, that grabbed me because he's just like, don't try and change your wow. guys wow. unless you're ready to change. Just the same for parents. This was to the, all the seminary or just the formators? This is just the formators. This oh, was a, that's this nice. was the first, this is my first day on the job. It was a, a in, in service. They brought, brought him in. Incredible. So Baron's line about gardening, I was like, that's very interesting uh, because that's so organic, you know? It's like something's growing. There's a life here. And in seminary, we can say the Holy Spirit is actually forming these guys. Yeah, uh, it's the same with in a family, like that. You're not the primary one responsible for the formation of your children. It's actually God. Yeah, and it's the Holy Spirit actively and he's working. operating. And he's yeah. operating. He's working. And the question is, do you trust him, or have you created a police state? You know, right? Or just living in total idolatry of your children. That's the other thing. It's sure. just completely, and that happens in seminary work too, where it's just you get so obsessed with. The child. Now we have the perfect form. Right. We've created clerical stormtroopers who will now go out yeah. and who will accomplish unthinkable human acts, right. you know? They can perform more sacraments. That's you know? the that's like the the image of the white hand of Saruman like slapped on the the Urukai where it's right. just like ah! right. But interestingly enough, I remember going into Father Goransky's of happy memory. Um office for my spiritual direction appointment i sat down i had a big grin on my face and he goes you have something to say and i said i figured it out ready i said quote hot breath does not make flowers grow because the formators were just continually breathing down in the neck of some of these guys and i'm like they think that by doing that they're actually helping them but everybody says Talk to your plants, okay? You don't talk to your plants like, what is your freaking problem? You do this all the time. I've told you a thousand times, stop doing that. And then it's like, oh, I I wonder why these guys aren't growing. Why they don't trust me. Why why we don't have a a effective relationship. Why don't why do they treat me differently than they treat their spiritual directors? I'm like, because you're you're not even a pruner. You have a weed whacker. Right. A pruner is actually acknowledging where there's life and where there's death and pruning away the death so that life may grow. The weed whacker just says, get it all level. Right. Get it all level. Right, right. You know, Keith Kenny was told, your thesis is too long. He wrote a 120, 120 or 140 page thesis and they said, it's too long. So you have to cut it down to 60 pages. Why? Because everyone's got to be equal. Weed whacker. You, you weed whacker. You can't, that weed whacker versus a pruner. Take that to the seminary. Oh, yeah, here we go. We got him. Rough. Paul Ruff. (laughs) Yeah, so I think that the, uh, I was teaching about exegesis today and uh, the failure of modern, I don't know, I don't know how Mike would have liked this actually, but modern exegesis kind of, takes on this secularized hermeneutic so they approach the scriptures thinking they're totally objective and that's the main Mm -hmm. problem i think not only with and i went on this bit of a tangent in class i said this isn't a problem just with scripture that these exegetes think they're objective and they can dissect the bible we do this in relationships we do this in seminary 
or I'm with gonna, our, or I'm with gonna, ourselves or with each other. Yeah. I'm going to tell you what's wrong because I see it. And it's like, well, I have to acknowledge that I'm actually looking through a lens here at you. Mm-hmm. So you might drive me crazy and I can say, well, this is a problem, but I got to acknowledge what's wrong with me. And that's where, that's where Paul Ruff's thing is. Don't try to change someone unless you, you yourself are willing to change, right? Don't presume objectivity. There's a line from Carbajosa. Did you ever read his book, Carbajosa's book? Uh, Faith, the founder of exegesis. Yep, exegesis. That's a, that's a yeah. big Isis. no. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big no. Here's what he says. He says, because of the fact that I am a human person, I am inside this problem, and I cannot know it except on the basis of my involvement in him. He's talking about yeah. the, script, the, the scriptural exegete who's studying. I'm... Inside the problem. As a human person, I'm in relationship, which means there's always a subjective tint. Right. and I, It's never just I can objectively say, this is the problem with you. Agreed. And that's where if we just say it's objective, that uh, we're going to have a problem because very few people can be completely objective. And that's not the task ultimately in relationship. Sometimes the, the, the task is actually saying, subjectively, this is what I've perceived and when you get into sort of diagnostics, that's where I think you can get into trouble. But you can talk about your perceptions. Right. That's helpful. Right. And that's important because sometimes we have blind spots and we can't see it all. Right. And I, I do this all the time. Right. So I'm not just, I'm not pointing fingers here. I, I'm, I'm a diagnostician in relationship. It's terrible. Diagnostician. Even today, I was diagnosing a certain problem and I got a fiery email back from a certain friend. Thump. Yeah. He had the firebrand. <laughs> You know what? It was amazing and then I said, because I was actually on my email. I was on my email as it came through. Like like I, I, at my work computer, there's like a... Like there's some sort of sound that it makes whenever I get a new email. And so it's like, Father John, here's this thing. And I look at it and I'm like, what a load of garbage. <laughs> and then I keep typing away 30 minutes later and I'm still ticked off about it. So I downsize all the browsers and I'm like, here we go. Just arm the nukes. Exactly. Yeah. To which I responded. It was great. What did I respond with? He responded with a YouTube clip of um, uh, Green worm, worm Tongue being yeah. tossed out of Rohan. I only desire to please to, you, but to serve you. <laughs> Enough blood has been spilled on his account. Yes. Yeah. But you know what? It was to the point, it was helpful. And actually, like, it wasn't like, like, let me tell you why you are ultimately such a piece of crap because you did this. I just said, it's under control. Thanks. But it was a bit, it was diagnostic in the sense that I was looking at, um, sure. we, were, we were organizing some Lord's Day stuff and, and inner companion stuff. And there was just something that, there was a problem that needed to be brought to attention. But it's just, email is just a terrible mode of dealing with Can anything, I just so. add a little side note? I want to take a quick survey from the people. <laughs> If you were to uh, form a uh, uh, online document and you happen to put your document first and then hide all the rest of them behind tabs so that the first document that you see is your own document, wouldn't you say that there's a little privilege in that? Why is Schloss Goebbels is, is buried <laughs> under three different tabs. You got to click three different times to get to it. That is true. That is true. No, we should. I, I would like to actually have fans write in if you actually use Google Hangouts because I'm convinced we're the only people in the universe who do. It's a terrible thing. Use really? GroupMe. This was in the. What e- is what is GroupMe? You didn't read. No, I you read. Oh, I read it. Trust me. 
I read it. I, while okay, hang on a second. Here it is. While our moderator is in Myanmar, okay, not even like Boulder or like Fort Collins or maybe he's away on retreat. He is in a completely different continent and not just a western continent an eastern continent and father john decides you know what i'm just gonna give some suggestions on communications I'll just leave it in his inbox improving communications hope you're having a great time in me and there was, was a like, seinfeld episode where elaine's boss is in burma in burma isn't that Myanmar? Yeah. that's right what was that guy's name again do you remember peterman peterman okay you ready yep i want to give you uh two we're, different we're, two different quotes here yeah uh, turning back to this notion of paideia. So this is another one from, uh, did you ever read the book by Eve Kungar called The Meaning of Tradition? Uh, I think I was assigned it. Okay. That's a great book. If, you, if you're if you ever wondering. Tradition. I did told you the show guys that? In, I told the guys in class. We couldn't get the internet to work because uh, the Neocats yeah. have all this stuff on lockdown. Yeah, exactly. But I wanted to show Rev Tevye. And I even told the guys in class. I was like, Goebel has specifically told me you have to play this for him. What is the what is the uh, what's the name of that thing Barracuda or whatever? <laughs> They've got like a little filter, uh, a, a filter that kind of filters out some of the, the bad stuff or whatever. But the funniest thing is sometimes teachers try to show like different <laughs> clips, you know, to aid in their teaching, and it's like blocked by Barracuda, <laughs> and I'm like, oh gosh. Yep, exactly. So, so we did not show. Uh, okay, I'm listening. Yves Congar, meaning a tradition, meaning of traditions. So Yellow great book, book. cream colored. It's on your bookshelf. It's on my bookshelf. Yeah. Go on. So here's what he says, and this is uh, tied into him. We do not bring up a child by giving him lectures in morality and deportment, mm. but rather by placing him in an environment, having a high tone of conduct and good manners, whose principles rarely expressed as abstract theories will be imparted to him by the thousand familiar gestures that clothe him so to speak, in the same way that the spirit informs the body and is expressed by it. Mm. Education does not consist in receiving a lesson from afar, which may be learned by heart and recited, thanks to a good memory, but in the daily contact and inviting example of adult life, which is mature, confident, and sure of its foundations, which asserts itself simply by being what it is and presents itself as an ideal which someone still unsure and unformed in search of fulfillment and in need of security will progressively come to resemble almost unconsciously and without effort. Boom. Yeah. Great line. I was thinking about our dads uh, when I read this quote because double D these guys, they did not think they, they were not educational theorists. They're they're morons. Yeah. (laughs) They're not thinking they were, they were totally freaked out when they had sons. Yeah. They're just two sons in a row. Both of them. Right. They're two sons and a girl. Yeah. Two sons and a girl. Oh, so they're, they're not thinking about, you know, what is the best theory by which to educate my children? According to the Greek notion of paideia, they're not, they're just like, Oh, okay. I'm back from work and it's a total, total crapshoot right now. Why did you? The one-year-old is saying the word darkness over and over again. Why did you push your sister under a desk and shove the chair in? Exactly. And then ride away on a bike. Yeah. It's like, Steve, why did I get called by the principal again today that you once again tried to glue the girl Gina, who sits next to you in first grade, to her chair? Did that happen? You did this regularly. Yeah. Mike Mike got a phone call that uh, he had kicked uh, Mikey Myers in the the nuts (laughs) and, and then climbed through the ditch to the other side. 
and uh, you gotten busted. This is what our dads had to this deal with. This is what they had to deal with. Think card, third grade. I get My name gets called, and I said, that's my name. Don't wear it out. I had heard that from Bart Simpson. Think right? card? Think card was like, next year referral, then you're in trouble. So, oh, yeah. Oops. Boom. So they're not thinking. They're not giving lectures on morality, deportment. Right. Um, oh. But they're creating an environment which has a high tone of conduct and good manners whose principles rarely expressed in abstract theories are imparted by a thousand familiar gestures. I'm thinking of our friends with little kids here, who, uh, especially ones who maybe stay at home, mom, uh, homeschooling families. You're just saying to myself, what? Because sometimes if you feel like I'm just wasting, I'm, I just am kind of wasting my life, like with these little people. But the thousands of little gestures, yep. familiar gestures yep. that you clothe them with, as Kongar is saying, is is forming them in a spirit um, that will lead to. A, a full conscious mature and adult life and they're going to be and, and it'll create stable healthy human beings mm-hmm. but it it takes time and time again yeah. to educate them i've talked about this before we did a podcast on on meal prayers and uh did i just click that out what is going on um we did a podcast on meal prayers and uh if you if you symbolize just by your very gesture that before you eat you acknowledge god it means that there's somebody greater than the person who's sitting in front of you or the person who made the meal or the person who purchased the meal. Yeah. Um, and that is educative. Right. And um, I, I don't know if, if my dad had to sit me down or my mom had to sit me down and say, we believe that God is greater than us. We just did that little thing and then we ate. Yeah. Every day for all of my life. Right. Guess what the number one factor for kids leaving the Catholic faith upon becoming adults is? Doodle-doop. Fathers not practicing their the faith. Practice of the parents, yeah. Practice of the father actually is out. Even more, yeah. Exactly. But it's it it's really comes down to it. I mean, not going to lie. I kind of I kind of crushed it on uh, Sunday night in the homily. Whoa. And guess what? They all left after communion. Where? Good Shepherd. You crushed it? Like as in like it was a great homily and it was then a great homily and then what? and I, I got after him and it was it was good I gave it everything I got and I was watching him leave afterwards and I was like what you're communicating to your children by leaving mass early mm-hmm. is extremely detrimental because yes. what you're saying is yep. this is something that is not a priority mm-hmm. and that is an infringement it, it it imposes on our life and we're lucky that we're even here for the time that we're here right you're you're making a statement right oh yeah. And uh, you do that over and over again. And uh, and I know the kids are trying to work. They know how to work the parents. I did this. I was like, let's get out of here. Come on. You know, how much is lame? Or, you know, we'll buy donuts on the way home or whatever. You know, and like right. kids know how to work it, you know. Uh, but you're, you're, you, this is so important. Uh, Congar has another line where he says, Emil, you is educative. And I keep coming back to this with the guys in fundamental theology because I'm talking about um, the importance of, of community is that you don't just educate individually, right? You you always educate within a milieu, within a culture. This is the Shodovisco um, yes. that John Paul had. Yes. Yes. I don't know about that. Shodovisco was his his small community of that he gathered at St. Florian's when he was a college oh, chaplain. Yeah. And, but it literally means milieu. That's what the Polish word means, you know? So John Paul had a sense of like, this is the, this is, milieus are educative, right? You have to have, a context, a culture. You create the culture and then let things grow. 
that's what you do as parents. Yeah. That's what you do as formators. Yeah. Create a healthy culture. Because I'm kind of like, you know, what am I supposed to do with these guys? I don't know what to do. Listen, I have no idea. Listen, no, I know what you do. Let me tell you. Take Ready? him to Chipotle tonight. That's what I did. That was good. I was very happy about that. Right? Another thing you could do is right after dinner, when everybody finishes, you stand up and you say, you guys clean this up and you walk <laughs> away. That was literally what one of our formators did. He stood up from the table and he goes, you guys clean this up? And he walked away. And I was like, holy cow. Like, And sometimes you learn not because they give you a well, good example, that, but because yeah. they give you a bad example. Half of what I've, I've done is based on yeah what I've learned from bad example. Well, and, and sometimes it's like, I think the difference is going to be you're going to make mistakes, but you might actually have the ability to go back to them and humble yourself and say, I was wrong. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. You, because in the companions, we do that all the, all time. the time. I don't think we say, I love you. Except like on your birthday, right? Maybe, right? But most of the time we say, "Hey, that was that was my bad. I'm yeah. sorry." Like a lot, right? But we actually acknowledge right. that we do care for each other. That's true. It's a milieu. It's a milieu, and it's educative. And I'm seeing our seminarians formed in it already. Like they're they're picking up, they're picking up. Like we're not doing a lot of formation. We can't right now with yeah. these young guys. Yeah, they're picking up a lot. And it's the same in your parish. Like your people are picking up a lot more of what's in you from the fam, from the global uh, family, from uh, the companions, from your friendships. Um, they're they're drawing a lot out of that, a, a lot more than I think we realize. So milieus are educative. Pastors set that tone. Families, you're creating an environment where the child will grow. It's no guarantee that they're going to be right. practicing Catholics. That's not a guarantee. But you are creating the kind of milieu that will educate them in the, in the structures and the foundations of the faith. I think what you're saying is, this isn't a movement. It's not. It's, not, it's not. What an is event? It's not an event. It's a, it's a movement. movement. That's what it was. Mango. I had a dream that I, I told all our youth group kids, what we're doing is an event. It's not an event. It's a movement, and the movement is this. Mango. Mango. And then everybody screamed. An example, a great example of this is um, John and Darylin Bixenman, who you biked with, the movement. Actually, I owe, on I owe this to Darylin Bixman. Did she knock you over? Ooh, that's a serious scab. We waited. We, I said, quote, let's wait up for John and Sam at the next stoplight. Ready for this? I get to the stoplight. I unclip my left foot and I lean right. And there you go. Why don't you try that on your chairs at home? Unclip your left foot, release your left foot, and then lean right. What's going to happen? You fall right over at a stoplight in front of everyone. And then it's just like, Derry Lynn's like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And I'm like, shut up and stop looking at me. Right. That's what happened. Whatever. Yeah, so they were an example of, they talk, they, they have the patience as parents to talk, talk through things with their kids. Like they're actually interested in educating them, but it's not just kind of like telling them what to do. They're actually kind of talking through life. They're forming them as they kind of go through it. And I know we we know a lot of different families who do this, but they're an example that comes to mind. Okay, final quote, and then we're final going. Final quote. This is from Luigi Giussani. You know him? Nice. Have you read the Religious Sense? Yep. Okay, good. That's it's a one. hard book, hard book That's to read. That's a tough one. Not an easy one to read. That's kind of like Intro to Christianity. 
Worst Ratzinger. name book ever. Yeah, it is. It's not an introduction. Okay, ready? This is from Giussani. Man cannot live, however, without moral certainties, without being able to form sure judgments about the behavior of others towards him. Here's the money line. This is so true that uncertainty in relationships is one of the most terrible afflictions of our generation. We might construct skyscrapers, atomic bombs, and most subtle and the most subtle systems of philosophy, but we no longer build the human because it consists in relationships. Mm. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, that's what we're, that's what we're afraid of. I, Uncertainty in relationships is one of the most terrible afflictions of our time, yeah. and we're growing up in that. The division, the collapse of family life, of culture, yeah. it creates this massive suspicion, untrust. And uh, and extremely proud, and, and and it creates an inability and a refusal to build up the human. And if we don't have human beings, we're not going to have faith. Yeah. So I would agree um, because I do a lot of funerals at St. Joan of Arc, and the one thing that I see is that the older generation are were much more connected than our generation, and they work together. They served together. They played sports together. They rejoiced together. Like they formed these human bonds, and we don't have anything like that. We honestly, I mean, our culture is so fabricated that we think that we've actually been created because we've looked on all of these different images and said, oh, yeah, like, w- I know these people because I kind of know their life. Like, I know what they had for dinner last night. Like, they put it on Instagram or in Facebook or whatever else. But it's like, you don't have dinner parties anymore. These people had potlucks every week right. for 30 years. Like, we don't do anything like that. We think catching up with a friend is like, oh, we went out to dinner. And I hadn't seen them in, you know, three months. They have dinner every week. Yeah. It's big. And I actually think it's because we have a fear of relationships. We want to be connected to about 50 people, but not to three people. Yeah. I have a, I have a, this is a, not a, something we're going to go into, but I, I'm starting to question whether millennials can really build community. It's a serious thing. And I don't mean to speak in extremes, but. Yeah. We're at a point where it's like, do we really want it? Um, are we really going to choose it? Like, because it's just, it's just lights out, you know. And we're seeing that in the companions in the priesthood. Uh, we're seeing that in the young families and friends that we work with. We're seeing that in our parishes. But uh, we have to really take that seriously. Um, so, ending on a tragic. No, it's nope. it, it that that's the project. That's the project, building the relationships within and building the relationships without. Right. Like, I mean, from from internally in the family, in marriage, in, um, yeah, in companionship, and also those, uh, those outside, um, coworkers, friends, classmates, whatever. But, like, not just everybody. It's not just about having a relationship with everybody. It's having a relationship... With a few in an intense way. I got the way. hiccups. <laughs> I got the hiccups. Yeah. In an intense way. Yeah. Who knows me? Who actually Who actually knows uh, what I'm capable of, what I'm afraid of, what, uh, what, I don't know, what drives me? I don't know. Well, are we so overwhelmed too with, because family life is difficult 
this is I know loon jazz. This is we need answer. a little we need a little, a little more jazz. jazz a little loon jazz. Family life has become more difficult because we're we're separated from our roots. You know, I live. My family came from the same town in Germany, yeah. and the same town in the Czech Republic for a thousand years. Then they moved to the same town in Minnesota and the same town in Montana for 150 years, and now they're scattered all over the United States right. in one generation. So. If right. you're if you're feeling overwhelmed because you're trying to raise your kids and you feel like you don't have roots, it's, it's understandable. Yeah. But then you're too exhausted and you're too stretched thin to build actually build community. You can see the problem here. You know. Different topic. Different topic, but a good lead in. Good we'll lead in. We'll good leave it at teaser. that. Teaser. But uh, Paideia, well well lived, well modeled by yeah. uh, many of our families like and our friends, and uh, I hope that we can do that in seminary. That includes you, Pastor. I am not currently. He's the, he came over. I, I walked into my place. This is the first week I was there, and um, it's about nine o'clock at night. I walk in, and there's Goebel sitting by the fire, holding court with all my guys. And right, I was like he's the fun uncle. Frunkle. He's the frunkle. So, shout outs. I only have one. Uh, I'm glad we talked about uh, Jusani because uh, um, the two people that I'm giving a shout out to are kind of semi related to. Jusani Kendall Sir, who I met at uh, the Mark Lanzini uh, graduation party. And uh, Mark Lanzini uh, just uh, retired from Matchbuff. We kind of talked about him before, but had a great time at his retirement party. And then uh, this girl, Kendall, uh, had just moved to Denver and big podcast listener. And uh, people are always so funny because I'm like, do you have any advice for the podcast? And they're like, oh, I couldn't possibly... <laughs> What, what could I tell you guys? And then I'm like, get over yourself. And then they're like, oh, you guys need to stop doing this and why don't right. you do a podcast on this? I'm like, right. yeah, we're not that big of a deal. Right, exactly. Sage Jenna. Do you know that Sage name? Sage Jenna. And Donor Relations and Gift Operations Department at Focus. Nice. I was corrected because my last credit card was expired and Skylar York, or Skylar Smith, <laughs> was not, not getting her payment. Get so this. So I got a call from Sage. And she said, hey, we're big fans of the podcast. And so is the the Donor Relations and Gift Operations Department of Focus is apparently listening. Here's the question, okay? Do you um, do you pay your tithe f- to Focus out of your credit card? Now I do. Do you replenish the money that you give to Focus from your credit card from your tithe account? Hmm. Maybe not. I don't. And just realized for the past five years, I've been doing that, which means that Jesus has been stealing my money, $960 every year. And so, you know what? I went into his tithing account and I stuck him, stuck him for a thousand. And I said, I knew you were stealing money from me. And Jesus just cackled. That is so. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. It was actually a really, I I felt, I was proud of myself because I was like, crap. I am giving money, and I'm not even feeling it's it, paideia. which means that I actually need to give more money right. so that I would actually feel it. Right. If That's anybody true. wanted to steal my credit card, as long as you stole $80 a month, I wouldn't even notice. I don't even know. Just sign it as F-O-O-C-U-S. Steve Sale is now working in Denver. Where? At uh, Concentra Physical Therapy, and his what? boss, the boss man. What? Where? Which his, his Oswald, That's where I went to. Chris Trot. Chris Trot is a podcast listener. Podcast listener. No you know way. Him? Do you know Chris Trot? No. 
Okay. Which Concentra is he working at? I don't know. I just got a text from Steve. I saying, I went to the one go to off Concentra of uh, PT. The, he said uh, he showed up. He, Steve's our friend who's doing um, rotations uh, through physical therapy, different clinics, and he's at Concentra PT. And he said Chris Trot and time limits up. Nice. Can't get to the last just one. Just in time. Time for bed. Um, we uh, I went to Concentra on Sixth and Sims, and uh, th- I sent the. YouTube video of my YouTube video of my homily to my doctor there, but she never responded, so I don't know what her name Thanks is. Thanks a lot, Doc. Last shout she out. She was great. Charles Nolan and Carl Vader. Not to be confused with Harrison Vader. Or Darth Vader. <laughs> or Carl Vata. Right? Which is <laughs> oh, you like, rascal. Gotcha. Exactly. Carl Vater. Do you know Carl Vater? No. Uh, he is a philosophy professor at the seminary. And Charles Nolan is the new Mark Lawler, music director. Chuck, as some people like to call him. These guys are great. It's funny how they kind of sheepishly manifest Wait, Chuck, podcast Chuck Nolan is a podcast listener? Chuck Nolan podcast oh, listener. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, if you can, come out and train my musicians. Come That'd be awesome. Roundhouse global in the face, please. Exactly. He deserves Hey, we're listening to the Catholic stuff. At, at gmail.com or whatever, Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. We've done 400 podcasts. You don't know the email. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Holy cow. Check us out. We're having a great time. We're calling it. We're calling it. It's 10 it. o'clock on hey. Thursday night, and we're going to bed. We'll be back his, next week. His so. phone died at 10 o'clock. My phone died at, at 9.50. We're done. We're okay, done. It's bedtime it's for Bonzo. Bastikosy. <laughs> We'll see you later. All right. Peloton ends here.